Welcome everybody to another episode of Green Thumbprint. This is Keith, and I am joined by my special guest, Chris Reed. How are you doing, Chris? I'm well, Keith. Good to hear from you. Yeah, so Chris, you and I went to graduate school together, and now you are on the East Coast, I am on the West Coast. Um, before we jump into one of our sort of uh, kindred enthusiasms, why don't you share with all of us, uh, what you're up to now over in New York? Sure. Uh, so I'm working as an energy and sustainability planner at an interdisciplinary engineering firm called Burrow Happold Engineering. Uh, we work with a number of uh, large institutions from universities to municipal governments, uh, advising on both technical and organizational strategies. Uh, I, I guess that's the, the high-level view. <laughs> awesome. Um, and regarding interdisciplinary issues, uh, I think one thing that um, you and I can sort of relate to is is thinking uh, a little big picture, I guess, instead of just about a micro level issue. Um, as folks who studied urban planning, thinking about you know. Um, issues at the, the city scale or at an urban design level, looking at an entire neighborhood um, and considering the impacts, the benefits, the considerations to have in mind when um, putting something together through whether it's a, a plan or a design. Um, and you wanted to talk about sort of a kind of unique overlap that maybe is, is not the first thing people think about when they're considering uh, how to plan a brand new city or how to, you know, redesign a, a city block. Yeah, so I, I wanted to talk about um, sort of the, the relationship between health and design or, or health and planning. And I, I think there's been a lot of interest in human health recently from uh, people in, in our field among built environment professionals and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the the keynote speaker of both the, the National uh, Planning Conference and the National Architects Conference was the acting Surgeon General of the United States. Um, and he, in both cases, deputized architects and planners to um, uh, be thinking about public health and, and improving the, the well-being of our nation's citizens. And this relationship is, is you know, it goes back a, a long way, I think, public health and, and planning were hand in hand when we started thinking about zoning in the first place and, and separating toxic uses from uh, residential neighborhoods and introducing light and air into, into uh, you know, crowded uh, apartment buildings. And um, it, it's really interesting to me that this is, is becoming, a, again, a, a, a trend in our fields. Um, and mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of uh, ground to explore. Right. I think you are maybe at ground zero in New York where some of that first uh, planning for the sake of, of human health was taking place. Um, so um, is, is sort of uh, this emphasis on planning and design around human health something that your firm and the, the work you do has been very much explicit where, you know, it's, it's definitely consideration for for a project you'll be working on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think New York City has 
done, uh, been at, you know, had a leadership role um, with the active design guidelines. Uh, I think that's probably the the best, um, you know, one of the best references right now. And and the active design guidelines will refer to um, everything from a building scale in how do you make stairwells more attractive and, and fun and encourage people to uh, take the stairs instead of the elevator mm. to, um, you know, the urban design guidelines uh, and providing uh, uh, adequate sidewalk space and, and bike lanes to encourage active transportation and recreation. That's awesome. And so that those guidelines are technically within the uh, public sphere. They were created by the uh, a public department and are now available to the public online, I'm assuming? Uh, they are. I will look up the exact uh, you don't domain to, address, sure but you there's... can look up New York City Active Design Guidelines and and they'll yes. take you right to them. I'm hoping that uh, Google uh, will send folks there if they're interested. We don't need to see a lot of web address. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, who needs, who needs to write down web addresses anymore? <laughs> Um, yeah, and you know that makes me think also that there have been a number of, of kind of more recent innovations also with the, the building scale when it comes to integrating um, not just livability and uh, environmental issues, um, but human health as well. We see in uh, LEED, which is a green building certification system, um, elements about removing toxic components and making sure that you have things like low volatile organic paints. Um, you know, you're seeing it obviously in organic food movements, but um, there's been a, a desire to really take um, those types of green building standards to the next level. When you were mentioning LEED, I was just thinking of this brand brand new certification system called the Well Building Standard. Yes. Um, this just came out uh, uh, maybe three months ago, and it is a companion to, to LEED. It was developed in partnership with the U.S. Green Building Council, uh, with the Cleveland Clinic, and um, with the Mayo Clinic as well. Right. And... It, it focuses, it's essentially you can get your building design um, well certified uh, and, right, and, and it's a complete assessment of, of all, of, all of these things, mind, comfort, light, nourishment. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, I was double checking and I went to the website as well. <laughs> Which apparently is as, as a soundtrack. <laughs> Yeah, because, yeah, I, I there was what I was trying to, there was the additional certification system I couldn't remember the name of um, that Delos is behind as well. But you yes. are, you're completely right. Yes, it is the well certification system. <laughs> um, sorry we're, for that we're, uh, we're, sound we're very We're very, very excited about it and um, have have been uh, uh, presenting it to a number, number of clients at the building scale. Awesome. Um, we're, we've we've also been we've been speaking with Delos about you know what this would look like at an urban scale and I think that's next so uh, stay tuned. Right. Um, awesome. Well, let's let's talk again about the urban scale. Um, there's one particular form of, of activity and uh, 
you know, exercise, if you will, but not just exercise that uh, we we enjoy, um, <laughs> which is bicycling. I don't want to make it so vague, but um, <laughs> it was, it was uh, an element that is obviously also being integrated into um, how cities are being designed or existing cities are trying to better accommodate um, bicycling for a number of reasons, one of which is, is the, the clear human health benefits. Yeah, but I mean, by bicycling, absolutely, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's taken off. Um, uh, I, more and more people are uh, discovering the joys, I, I think, of, of bicycling. And, you know, it's good for your health. It's, it's nice to be outdoors and, and taking in the experience of, of your neighborhood. And um, there, there's a lot to like. Yeah, or you know, sometimes people are so desperate for a place to just bicycle that um, I guess they'll do it anywhere that you create the infrastructure. I was looking at this article um, and it was uh, sharing imagery of some of the more innovative or um, interesting uh, bike infrastructure designs throughout the world. And in Bangkok, Thailand, um, they where I used to live and got around on a bicycle actually uh and there was not great bike infrastructure there at the time uh, they now have built a 23 and a half kilometer cycle track um or just sort of a bike loop around the airport <laughs> so not necessarily a way to even get to anywhere you need to go um but simply like a, a kind of like a track for runners a place where bicyclists can feel safe and they can just bike in a large loop. And apparently it's incredibly popular um, just to bike around an airport. So there's, there's that, and then there's actually bike infrastructure that helps you get from maybe one place you're trying to get to to another. Yeah, I, I think that's ex exactly right. And, um, you know, I think there's been a shift from uh, creating uh, bicycle recreation trails to bicycle transportation networks. So from recreation to transportation, point. I think has, has been the big shift, not just, uh, you know, going out for a ride on a Sunday, but, but getting to work or getting to school. Yeah. And, um, I have to say that I, I don't know what your take is on it, but, um, New York itself has been doing a number of, uh, fairly um, dramatic gestures towards um, improving bike infrastructure. Um, one of which uh, I really enjoy is an implementation I saw in Portland, and now it's um, uh, happening on some of the avenues in New York where they will remove, if not one, uh, several lanes of, of traffic um, to create a dedicated bike lane and then move the, uh, the parked cars actually in between driving lanes and the bicycle lane. So creating a buffer with the parked cars and then the bicyclists get to ride essentially uh, next to the sidewalk and the cars um, that are parked. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. Is there yeah. a word for that that I'm not, that I don't have on the tip of my tongue? Uh, they, they will, that, that classifies as a protected uh, protected bike lane, um, nice. but that, those cars are exactly that. They're a buffer. 
yeah, what is your, I, I've heard mixed things from people, um, how, how do you enjoy or disagree with, with these implementations in New York? Well, I, I think that the important thing about uh, street design is that it's, it's not just the physical elements. It's not just about moving the cars over one lane and, and dedicating another one to bicycles. Mm-hmm. I think there, it's also about a culture shift. And that's a culture shift uh, about getting more people on bicycles so that uh, I think everybody, people driving cars as well as pedestrians, you know, people walking, um, are aware that there are also people biking on the street. Um, and I think we're, we're getting there, but uh, that, that cultural shift hasn't completely happened yet. Um, so you do see some conflicts in, in the bike lane. Um, right. Someone will be walking, uh, you know, uh, we'll be we'll be jaywalking as as New Yorkers are are uh, famous for doing, um, and, and we'll we'll step in front of a person who's biking. Um, so I, I think that those that's part of that culture shift that still needs to to happen. So so you and I both enjoy biking. We we use bikes to to get around um, our respective areas. Um, what what sort of you know. A, either a tip or just, you know, something you would relate to a listener, especially if they maybe are trepidatious about biking, if they don't yet uh, use a bike, um, but are maybe curious about it. Uh, absolutely. So I think the, the first thing I, I recommend is that um, you just get out and, and try to ride. If you have an old bicycle lying around, um, you know, pull it out and, and maybe have a friend or bike shop check it over and make sure it's safe. But, right. uh, you know, bring it to a, a place where, the, where there are uh, no cars, where it's very low stress. Uh, a park would be a good setting to do this. Um, and just practice. And um, as you get more and more comfortable, you may try going on on some um, side streets or some protected bike lanes mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, take it slow. But uh, the most important thing is, is to get there, out there and practice. If, if you're really feeling like you need some help um, in, in some coaching, uh, local, uh, there are some local organizations in, for instance, in, in San Francisco, that might be the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition. Yep. In New York, that might be Transportation Alternatives. Um, who will run uh, little clinics um, or, or can otherwise direct you to uh, people who can, who can uh, walk you through it. Yeah, exactly. And, and I wanted to jump in as well when you were bringing up, you know, the idea of uh, initial sort of bike rides that um, would be a, a safe place and an environment for someone who may not feel comfortable, you know, jumping right into uh, car-filled streets and um, a lot of traffic. Um, cities around the world have been, over the past few years, implementing more and more of uh, special days of the week or special events in which they close down entire areas to cars and um, allow for bicyclists, roller skaters, um, you know, people and on a number of modes of transportation, but especially bikes, uh, to come out and, um, you know, ride in large, broad streets without having to worry about um, cars and traffic. 
so in San Francisco, we have that. We call that Sunday Streets, where different neighborhoods um, are selected to uh, close down major blocks. Um, this is now happening in my hometown of LA uh, with events called Cicla Via. Um, I remember when I used to live in Paris, they would do this um, you know, along certain parts of the, the waterfront. Um, I imagine there's potentially similar things. Summer streets in New York. Summer streets in New York. Awesome. Same concept. Yep. Yeah. So you know, and that's a an interesting kind of I think cultural shift, and it shows that, um, like you're saying, there's there's design elements that are important. There's behavioral shifts, and then there's also just sort of programming and uh, things that are being done, whether it's by the city or by you know, in this case, the Bike Coalition is very involved in San Francisco, but they're programmatic elements to encourage, promote, and facilitate more bicycling. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> Thank you. Um, cool. Well, um, any, any specific uh, uh, tips when someone is on their bike and, uh, you know, they've, they've gotten a little more experience so they are now in the, in the transportation network they're riding on streets, uh, any either piece of equipment you recommend or don't recommend, any t behavioral elements of biking that you yeah, advocate? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's very easy to um, get obsessed and, and talk about the ideal equipment and, and helmets and jackets and, uh, you know, all these other things. Uh, and bags what kind of bag are you carrying your your uh, work supplies or groceries in um, but but I really think that the most important thing is just to get out and ride um, take whatever bicycle and whatever backpack you have and um, that and and just get started the rest uh, you can figure out along the way very important to have lights at night uh, mm. that would be the one one piece of equipment mm. that I that I'd say um, you know you you definitely you definitely should have if you plan to, to bike after dark and you can pick up a, a good set of lights for maybe maybe twenty dollars or less these days awesome uh highly agree chris i want to thank you so much for coming on today and um just perhaps uh if you want to share you know how folks can can reach out to you or follow what you're up to um what would be the best way to, to sort of see what chris Ree is up to <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Chris underscore Re. That's spelled R H I E, uh, and uh, that has uh, links to my website and, and all other uh, manners of social media. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Chris. It was a pleasure catching up and talking. Thank you, Keith. All right, for Chris, this is Keith signing off.